Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. Our Sacred Story for today is taken from... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And it comes from Paul's address to the people of the town of Corinth. People who are like us, who can't seem to get along, who argued about everything, but primarily in that time, the argument was about the baptism and who you should follow in your faith. I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends, Using the authority of Jesus, I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. I bring this up because some from Chloe's family brought a most disturbing report to my attention, that you're fighting among yourselves. Imagine that in a church. I'll tell you exactly what I was told. You're all picking sides, going around saying, I'm on Paul's side, or I'm for Apollos, or Peter is my man, or I'm in the Messiah group. I ask you, has the Messiah been chopped up in little pieces so we can each have a relic all our own? Was Paul crucified for you? Okay, was a single one of you baptized in Paul's name? I was not involved with any of your baptisms except for Crispus and Gaius. And on getting this report, I'm sure glad I wasn't. At least no one can go around saying they were baptized in my name. Come to think of it, I also baptized Stephanus' family, but as far as I can recall, that's it. I was not involved in your baptisms. At least no one can go around and say they were baptized in my name. God didn't send me out to collect a following for myself, but to preach the message of what God has done, collecting a fellowship for Christ. And I wasn't sent to do it with a lot of fancy rhetoric on my own, lest the powerful action at the center of Christ on the cross be trivialized into mere words. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, 
and most powerfully, as it turns out. I always use the message when I preach, and that's what this is taken from. Um, it was a much more comfortable version of the Bible for a lot of people at my church that I served for so long, because many of them were immigrants. Many of them were people who came from other places or people who didn't have a lot of education. And it was a very easy to understand worded kind of a, a scripture for them. Um, I had people who argued about it in church. They didn't like it. Several wanted to go back to the straight King James. One said she would read scripture if I used that version. Others said, no way, I like this one. But it's one of those things you work on. And I eventually had people saying, where can I buy a copy of that? So if you listen to things sometimes a little bit differently, you hear things differently. So today I've got two quotes to start out with. And I ask that you listen as you hear these. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. This is our hope. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. And that was spoken by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at the March on Washington, August 28, 1963. The second quote is, I'm not standing here speaking to you as an American or a patriot or a flag saluter or a flag waver. No, not I. I am speaking as a victim of this American system and I see America through the eyes of a victim. I don't see any American dream, I see an American nightmare. Those words were spoken by Malcolm X at Cory Methodist Church in Cleveland, Ohio on April 4th, 1964. Two very different viewpoints coming from their own experience, from the way that each one of them had grown up. The first one you've probably all heard, especially this last week. We hold all these programs to honor Reverend Dr. King's birthday, and we hear quotes from him one after another like this. But we don't always hear that second view. King spoke those words um, not dreaming, probably, that they would ever come to define who he was and how he lived and what he stood for in his teaching and his preaching. But that second quote, which is not as familiar at all to many people, was spoken four years to the day before Reverend Dr. King would be shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee. 
They came from Malcolm X, who would not live to see that day of King's murder, but who himself would be shot on February 21st, 1965. Malcolm X grew up in tough circumstances without much of the support that Reverend Dr. King had from his family and from his friends. He was told that he could not be a lawyer. That was what he wanted. It's what he always wanted to be. But because of the color of his skin, you can't be a lawyer. Hearing again and again that message that he was inferior just because of his skin color, he began to believe it. And he spent much of his time in violence fulfilling that message. He too had dreams, but he and Martin had very different ways of realizing those dreams. Two different views of the world and everything that was in it, but were never really able to reconcile those differences that they saw. Think about if they had both lived, what would it have been like? Would they have ever gotten together? Could have been very interesting. King was positive that we had the faith that would lead us to peace and freedom for all people. Malcolm didn't think that would ever become a possibility. So in today's sacred story that you just heard, there is opposition, there is change, there is fighting, there are people who don't agree with other people. Some of us dream about a world of full equality and others are certain it will never happen. Paul's time and ours are a lot alike. Politics, education, religion, race, the economy, all of these and more are fraught with anger and fighting. Our own United Methodist University, Hamlin University, is in the midst of a painful debate right now over academic freedom and religious tolerance over a picture that an art teacher showed. In the broader picture of life, even our whole denomination itself is in the process of a split, fighting, arguing, complaining about each other, ostensibly over LGBTQ rights, but along with that, in comes the ugliness of racism and equality of women, along with property rights, pensions, health insurance, and the credentialing of clergy. We can't agree on what we are arguing about at this point. There are so many fractious things that have split off from where it started. If we look at opposition, at different opinions of, at radically opposed viewpoints, what we see is that there has to be a whole lot of work done and a whole lot of effort put into making some very hard changes and to ultimately finding some kind of a unity of thought and action. That call to unity doesn't mean that we have to give up what is distinctive about us or force others to give up what is distinctive about them. It doesn't mean that we all have to think alike and believe the same things. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Jason talk about how we all start out differently. We believe different things depending on how we were raised, what we were told, what we learned over the years. But as we grow and as we change, our faith 
calls us to find a kind of a common sense of purpose with others in a transformative and diverse community. That's what we call ourselves. That's what we, what we strive to be. We want to be a place where people come from other places, from cultures, from races, religions, and customs, and feel like they belong, all at the table, as the song said. Too often, however, though, we retreat into our own safe little factions, and we find it a whole lot easier to loudly voice our opinions in the support of a, a whole pod of other people around us with whom we agree. It's easy to stand up and speak your opinion when you know that nobody's going to argue with you. Makes a lot easier. If you know somebody's going to argue, it might be, I eh, just, I'll stay out of it. And nothing changes. I've seen this rush to race, racism happen so many times when I've been called to make a death notification as a police department chaplain or county sheriff's department chaplain. Um, usually when a, a member of a family has been killed and the family has not heard about it yet, they send one of us chaplains out with a couple officers. And we have the privilege, the honor of telling them that they're child, their husband, their brother, their son, whatever the relationship, has been killed. When people ask me about the victim, people outside of the family, the first assumption is always, ah, another black kid, huh? What'd he steal? It's the first thing I hear over and over from all my white friends. He probably deserved it. That's another common statement they make. If I say no, the victim was not black. The last one that I did was not a black child that had been murdered. Then the assumption changes to, must have been a bunch of black gangbangers trying to kill somebody. That cloak of racism has taken over and has become in our cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul and the area around here has become that nightmare that Malcolm X lived with in his life. But if you go back to Paul talking about baptism, one of the main things that people argued about in religion in those days, we're reminded that we're not called to retreat to those factions where we're comfortable but to courageously engage one another, to learn from each other, to support the right of all people with their beliefs of truth and love. And we are to do that by remembering that ultimately it comes down to preaching the message of what God has done and who God wants us to be as we live out our lives. We need to learn to have the courage and the ability to honestly and lovingly engage those that we disagree with, and there will be lots of them, so that we can move on with the business of transformation, of life-changing relationships, rather than shoot at one another, gain power at the expense of others who have little or none, put others down to make ourselves look better, 
or condone violence to make us come out as the winners. All we've seen when we do that is a world full of losers. Everybody loses. <clears throat> as we all recognize the huge tasks that our country faces today, we are called into discussion and mutual give and take. Sometimes nobody gets what they want. Sometimes everybody gets something they're not happy about. But that's sometimes the price of learning to live together in some semblance of harmony and of relationship and peace, of unity and common purpose. For several years at North United Methodist Church, where I served last, we shared our space with a Christian Methodist Episcopal congregation, a denomination of the Methodist family of churches where black worshipers were allowed to go to church during the times of slavery. One of the first things that we did together when uh, the pastor and I got talking about how can we how can we get people together and how can we kind of make this one church? So one of the first things we did was to print a new church directory. Wanted to have pictures and addresses and names and phone numbers so we could call each other and talk to each other. And so we printed up that directory. And if you held it up this way and opened it this direction. It was North UMC on the cover and all of our addresses and pictures and stuff were on the inside and you flipped through. But if you took that and you flipped it over on what would be the back of that book, it was Faith and Hope Worship Center. And if you opened it up, it had all of their pictures and their addresses. We thought that maybe this would help. Um, it didn't work. When the directory was handed out, Pastor Day, who's their pastor, had to deal with members saying, this, this church is getting too white. I'm going somewhere else that's a black church. Then I got to deal with a whole lot of my church members saying, we don't want those people to know where we live. And we were churches, and we had that attitude But we stuck it out, and we kept inviting each other to things, and we kept talking to each other. And when Pastor Day retired a few years later, we had this joint women's knitting group that met together. We had a quilting group that met regularly. We had a group of women who went out just to have fun once a month, have dinner, a good time, and that included both churches. And we invited each other to all of our church events, and people actually showed up, and they sat together and they talked. We shared more meals together than I can count. Reverend Day and I often switched pulpits, and we would set up the order of the worship, and we took uh, a little bit from his and a little bit from mine, a little from his and a little from mine. And we told everybody that we always did that because then everybody would be mad and nobody would be completely happy. So you're all in the same boat that way. 
Neither congregation could say that they won or they lost, either one. And we lived through it. We may not have had complete agreement on everything, but we learned to love each other and we learned to share our opinions with one another without anger, without irritation. We learned to actually speak to each other. And that was an amazing thing, a wonderful thing. So that's what we focus on when we remember Human Relation Sunday in the United Methodist Church, as we are doing today. It's designed to celebrate and raise awareness of the further development of human relations, primarily by involving congregations and community and youth outreach. We're called to continue looking for ways to reach out to those who are struggling and to build relationships as we learn from them what they need. So on this Human Relations Day, when there is so much going on in our world, may each one of us make the effort to listen to others with kindness, without judgment. May we learn to compromise in ways that help all of us become the best that we can. May we reach out to those that we think we don't have anything in common with, and we might find our presuppositions have been completely wrong. Let their dreams and ours come together for the good of all people. God is God of everyone, not just you and you and you and six people walking down the street. God's everybody's God. And we're called to share, to share God regardless of who the others might be. So as we will leave here soon, let us remember the enormity of our, of our God and what God has done for us. A God of men and women, a God of gay and straight, a God of people with disabilities and differing abilities. God is a God of people with every color of skin on this earth. A God of black and white and brown and red and yellow and pink and all of those colors in between. Yet those colors are not how God sees us or looks at us. God looks at how we follow what Christ has taught, taught us. So may we each remember as we are tempted to think that we, we are a little better than somebody else and know that God's love covers them and it also covers us even when we are those people to someone else. Amen. I don't ever usually use somebody else's words for a benediction. Most of the time I just make it up as I go. But I'm going to use a quote today. There is a United Methodist bishop who served in Indiana for many, many years, a guy named Woody White. And Woody White is black. He was one of the earlier bishops in the United States who was black. And every year he used to write a letter to Reverend Martin Luther King. And he would tell him what changes had been made during the past year in the, the fight for real equality for all people. And in that letter, he would also remind other people that no matter what the outcome our thirst, our quest for justice, mercy, and righteousness must end in the name of Jesus Christ and not in Bishop Woody White's words.
So his quote is, And now may the Lord torment you. May the Lord keep before you the faces of the hungry, the lonely, the rejected, and the despised. May the Lord afflict you with pain for the hurt, the wounded, the oppressed, the abused, and the victims of violence. May God grace you with agony, a burning thirst for justice and righteousness. May the Lord give you courage and strength and compassion to make ours a better world, to make your community a better community, to make your church a better church. May you do your best to make it so. And after you have done your best, may the Lord grant you peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.